If you have your Bible with you, take, uh, you can turn with us to Revelation chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 7 through 11, and then verses 14 through 22. Uh, like I say, verses 7 through 11, and then verses 14 through 22. Uh, it'll also be on the screen, and if you're watching this later on television, it'll be on your screen as well. Let us hear God's word. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And in verse 14, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the inspiration of it. Now may it speak to our hearts and lives in such a way that we will be challenged, that we will be changed, and that we will never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are finishing up our series on God's report card to the church. We've been talking about how God's report to the seven churches of Asia Minor in, uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, and how it really is also a report for us to reflect on ourselves and on the church, on our church as well. And so we've been talking about, we started with the church of Ephesus and how it was the church that lost its first love. Uh, we, we then went to the church of Smyrna, and that was a church which was got good marks or good grades. It was a church that was persevering even in a time of tribulation uh, and, and persecution. 
We talked about the church of Pergamos and Thyatira and about the idolatry, pro idolatry problems that were going on outside the church and then what was being, being brought inside the church as well. And then last week we talked about the church of Sardis and how it had a name that it was alive, but yet it was dead. In other words, it was still living in its glory days whenever the reality of it was that they were not hitting on full cylinders there as a church. And so we're finishing up on this Palm and Passion Sunday talking about two churches. We're going to cover two churches, but don't worry, that doesn't mean you have to sit through two sermons this morning, okay? But the two churches that we're going to kind of be concentrating on are these last two, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Now, not Philadelphia uh, up in Pennsylvania, although uh, it was sort of named after that. It means the church of brotherly love or the city of brotherly love. But Philadelphia was a church that was known for its love. In fact, look at verse 8. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. It was known for its love and persevering in that love. Now, what does a loving church look like? I think it can look like many different things. One, uh, I, I don't know, I just, whenever I think about loving church, I, I think about several years ago at the pilgrimage youth event, and, and they were, this was definitely pre-COVID and all, but there, there were some of the youth groups that made signs and would stand out in the hallways and would offer free hugs. I mean, lines of them, free hugs and all, and, and just to show that love. Now, I think some of them were honestly wanting to show that love. I think some folks just enjoy getting free hugs, amen, and, and hugging one after the other and all. I was young once, but anyway, uh, but whatever reason I, you think about loving, you definitely, it's an expression of your love, and the Church of Philadelphia was showing that. It, it, it was showing that it had persevered in love, that God had opened doors, and they stepped through those doors, and they were opening the doors for others for evangelism opportunity and missional opportunity. So Philadelphia gets a good mark or a good grade. But then there's the church of Laodicea. And it doesn't get quite as good a grade. In fact, look at what uh, the grade that it gets in verses 15 and 16. Here's the comments on it. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound like a good grade. Amen? I mean, whenever he says that. I, I remember long ago, early in my ministry, one time I preached a sermon called, Would You Make God Spew? And I only preached it like one time. But anyway, I, I didn't try that one again. But, but I thought about that old movie, Wayne's World. You probably remember that. Remember the guys in the back seat kind of sick and everything. And, and he hands them this little tiny cup and says, If you're going to spew, spew into this. You know what I'm saying? And like this tiny cup. But anyway, but, but that is not uh, a good grade if God says, You're making me sick to my stomach. That is just not a good grade. And what I usually heard this explained as, and at some point preached on it myself as, is that, you know, we're either hot or cold, and that cold was a long way from God, and that hot was on fire for Jesus. And he says, you be one or the other, but don't try to be just lukewarm and compromised in that way. 
But then as I did more research into it, I found out more about this area. And if you've ever been to Israel or any of the area over there, you know that water is of extreme importance. In fact, water, uh, and the ones that went on us to, with us to Israel remember how water meant crops, water meant refreshment, water meant money, water meant power in some ways. And, and so it, it was so important that water was there. And there's different types of springs that are in those areas, and especially in the area of Asia Minor, there were cool springs that were used as places to camp and refreshment, and they would drink of those waters. They were clean and cool waters, and, and so they, they were good things. They were good things. So to be cold when he's talking about it is actually a good thing. Or there were also places with hot springs as well. And these were medicinal waters. Just a, and, and everybody knows like a hot bath is just good for everything. If you're sore, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, if you're not feeling good, if, if you need relaxation or whatever. And also I hear it's good for uh, hemorrhoids as well. But anyway, but the thing is, is that the, so the hot, the hot springs are for healing and the cool springs are for refreshment. And he's saying, I want you to either be a refreshing church, a place where people can find uh, water, for the, spiritual water for the thirsty soul, or I want you to be, I think it's a both. He, he would love for us to be a place of healing and wholeness in that way. But whatever you do, don't be lukewarm because that just makes me sick. I, I, I'm, I'm a coffee drinker, love coffee and everything, and first thing on Sunday mornings, I always stop and get me one of these, and it's, it's the uh, double shop espresso on ice, and I think it's like four or five shots of espresso on this, and I had to, I had to grow on to, I mean, I had to kind of grow into cold coffee or iced coffee. I wasn't a big fan at first, but I mean, I, I like it, and, and, and especially on Sunday mornings, I mean, it, it gets me going pretty good, but I like it, I mean, it's cold, now, I also like hot coffee, and uh, I've got me a cup of hot coffee right here. Well, it's getting cool now, but uh, hot coffee, and that's good. And the thing is, with coffee, we like it either hot or cold. You know what I'm saying? You don't want it lukewarm. I want my coffee hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And God's saying in the same way, either we're going to be cold or hot, but if we're just lukewarm, if we're just kind of, cruising by, if we're just kind of halfway committed, then it actually makes them sick to his stomach. So this morning, just want to talk for just a few minutes about how can the church as a whole be more like Philadelphia and less like Laodicea? How can we be more like Philadelphia and less like Laodicea? Number one is this. We must make corporate worship as passionate as possible. I'm not talking about worship styles. I believe we can have passionate worship, whether it's traditional, whether it's uh, contemporary, whether it's like our Thursday night worship, that Southern gospel. We can have it, we can make it passionate. But what it means is that we are gathering for the right reasons and that we're gathering to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's what makes it passionate. Now there's something now now there's nothing wrong with private worship. In other words, your devotional time or you riding in the car, singing praise and worship, whatever, on the boat, all of that's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But it does not take the place 
of gathering together with the people of God. Amen? It does not take the place. And I tell you what, if we, we never knew how much we would miss it until we weren't able to do it, right? And so corporate worship, and what, what I'm talking about is that we want to make the music, we want to make the prayers, we want to make the preaching, we want to make everything passionate because when we come with a passionate heart and worship together, God's presence is with us. Listen, Jesus says that when two or three are gathered, only two and three, it just don't take but two or three. Imagine what happens when it's 20 or 200. He says, when they gather in my name, there I will be with you in the midst of you. And it doesn't stop there. A lot of people stop it right there. Say, okay, that's why we get together, so Christ to be with us. No, no, it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done. Folks, I believe it's in the presence of God when we gather together that addictions are broken. I believe it's in the presence of God when we gather together that people are healed. I believe it's in the presence of God when we gather together that people are changed. We cannot be in the presence of Almighty God and stay the same. Amen? Passionate worship. Second is this. We must enable and equip people to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. We want to enable and equip people to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. The Church of Philadelphia had done a good way of stepping through and helping others step through the open door that God had given. They were stepping through, they were loving in that way, and they were helping others fulfill their purpose. You may remember Rick Warren put out a, a best-selling book, and all kinds of Bible studies and other things came out of it. It was called The Purpose Driven Life. And, the, and, and it talks about every one of us. God has five purposes for every one of our lives. And it's worship, it's fellowship, it's ministry, evangelism, mission. All those things. Uh, discipleship, sorry, left that one out. But it's all those things are those purposes. And then he came later and he put together, he figured out, I think, I think it was a revelation that he, he saw and everything, but there was the 40 days of, uh, of purpose. And then he did another study later. We did it as a church here called 40 Days of Community. Because he says, really, if you want to fulfill those five purposes for your life, you cannot do it alone. We have to do it together. And we do it through the church. And that's what we want to be as a church, helping people to find their purpose. The late Gary Locklear was our conference lay leader and also a, a missionary that we supported for years here. He was a home missioner. And I remember him saying to me after a meeting one day, he says, Tim, many times the church is simply not utilizing people's passions. See, when we have a passion about something then we are going to do what we can. We're going to do what we have to do to fulfill that passion. Sometimes it's holy discontent, as Bill Hybels wrote a book about that, holy discontent. What are the things that you're passionate about? What are the, the social ills or the, uh, uh, the places of, of injustice or the places of poverty or the places, things that you're passionate about where you want to see God move and you have to do something about that? There's a story of a man by the name of... He tells this story in his book about a name by the name of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was in the Korean War, and he was in Korea during the Korean War and was there. Uh, they were feeding folks, and, and right there in the feeding line, he said he witnessed 
some children, a child that fell out dead while waiting to get food. He said it, it ringed at his heart in such a, uh, in such a, tugged at his heart in such a way that it stirred him so much that he found this little girl there by the name of White Jade and he gave her the last $5 he had in his pocket. And when, as he got talking to the families there and found out exactly how far just $5 would go, when he came back to the U.S., he started an organization that started sponsoring children that were in poverty. That organization became known as World Vision. And we've been to many concerts and different places where you had a chance to sponsor children through that. It all started with one man seeking to do something about what he was passionate about and what he saw as a need. And that's what we want to be. That's who we want to be as a church. And I believe as we find people do that, then we're going to be more like the church, opening the door like Philadelphia and less like Laodicea. And last, we must share the greatest story of all in new and authentic ways. Folks, we have the greatest story to share. I mean, it, we, 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 it, it doesn't take rocket science, to, to, nothing wrong with rocket science, but it doesn't take that to share this story. It's a simple story of Jesus and his love and every one of us. We need to be sharing it in new and authentic ways. New, yes. We can't do it like we used to do it. But the story doesn't change. It's an and so we have to be authentic and true. There's a, there was a church website that used to be out, and it was called Church Marketing. I'm going to use the word stinks because I don't like the word that it uses. But anyway, church mar I'm going to say churchmarketingstinks.com. And uh, they were there, and this was their mission statement of it. And I, I think this should... This should be our mission statement as well. Their mission was to frustrate, educate, and motivate the church to communicate with uncompromising clarity the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to share this greatest story. And you can do that by looking at where God's opening the door for you to share uh, the gospel, the good news with somebody else. You can look where God's opening the door for you to invite somebody to come and be with you, even this coming Sunday at Easter Sunday. What ways is God calling you to share this story? See, and everything we do should have that motivation behind it to share Christ in some way. Dorothy Day was very involved in an organization called the Socialist Worker Movement. They, they would go and they would work especially with people in poverty and they would work uh, trying to stamp out injustice and, and other things. But she said that whole time of doing good stuff, she said she felt like there was something missing though. And it wasn't until she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. She became a devout Catholic and started a new movement called the Catholic Worker Movement. That was doing the good stuff, but this time it had mission and it had ministry to go along with it because she said, I had a purpose behind it. And that purpose was to share Jesus Christ with the world. Folks, that has to be our purpose as well. 
to share Jesus, the greatest story that's ever been told. Let's now be the church that will not make God sick, but will walk through whatever door He opens. See, after this report card's given, of all those churches, one that loses its first love, has lost its first love, one that has a name that it's alive, but yet it's dead, one that even is, he says, you make me sick on my stomach. The good news is that he finishes out this vision by Jesus saying these words to John. And I love what he says here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He's standing at the door of our hearts today. And I don't know what it may be that where God wants you to get involved at, where, where God wants to use you. I don't know whether it may be that it's just maybe the starting point and you're just saying, I know that I, I need to open the door to my heart in this area or in that area. Maybe it's something that, for whatever reason, has had a hold on us. And we need God to open our hearts in there. I pray that we will do that today because he says, if you open up, I will come in. Let us pray. Lord, let us be like the church of Philadelphia. Let us be a church that just welcomes you in. In spirit and truth, let us be a church, Lord, that worships passionately, that enables and equips people to live out their passion and purpose. And Lord, let it be, let us be a church where we are spreading, that we never cease to spread the good news of you and your love. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who simply needs to say yes to you. Let them know you're standing at the door and knocking right now. And all they have to do is invite you in and say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me. Love me. Use me. Live in me. And work through me. Lord, I pray that that will be our prayer today. As you stand at the door and knock at our hearts. Jesus' name.